don't want to startle you out of your communion time, but I uh, want to begin with a picture that uh, People Magazine just came out with their award. Every year they do this. This week they came out with this award, The Sexiest Man Alive. Now, who was that person? Uh, sorry, it wasn't anybody at New Hope Christian Church. It wasn't anybody down at Liberty University. It wasn't anybody at Virginia Tech, wherever else you may come from. It wasn't anybody in India. Folks from India, wasn't anybody in Ghana. It was Adam Levine. Adam Levine, you may know from a show called The Voice, or you may know the group that he was part of uh, in the past. Um, I want you to think about this for a minute, that the world judges so much of us by what they can see, by what you observe with your eyes and the, the attractiveness, the allure, the, the appeal of a person visually. And so, because he looks good, we now decide he's cool, competent, and seductive. <laughs> you know, we, we know all about him because he looks good, supposedly. That's the world's way. And this is the way the world goes, isn't it? So much of life is built around the externals, the exterior. I want you to think about that for a minute as we begin this morning, because this was the situation in David's life when people were deciding what they thought about someone else. This is not a new problem. This is an age-old problem, and it happened back in his generation about 3,000 years ago. Because people want to think that they know someone by what they see, and uh, this becomes a problem, especially if you're good-looking. It can be a problem because, like the movie stars, the uh, performers, the musicians, some of our athletes that we admire, you know, they just look so good, or they have such good physical powers or physical presence or attractiveness and it becomes even a problem for them, doesn't it? Because you don't know what's going on beneath the surface. <laughs> they look good, and they may get into this marriage with someone else that looks good, but there's lots of trouble oftentimes. And uh, there's a lot of tragedy going on behind the scenes. You don't really know. Uh, and this is the way the world is. Are we not encouraged to do the same thing? Yes. In this world, we're encouraged to think about how we look. And so we get all worried about what we're dressed like or how we look physically. And so uh, billions of dollars are spent on makeup and cosmetics and, and surgeries in order to take care of the way we look. People spend a lot of money trying to keep their youth as long as they can or at least maintain a look as if they're young when they're not. And this is the way of the world, but this is not God's way. This morning, are you attractive would you ever qualify for the sexiest man or the sexiest woman alive? Probably not. Do you think you're attractive? Or do you know that you're not? You see, in God's economy, in God's way of looking at things, it doesn't really matter because God is not concerned about how we look. He made us the way we look, but it's okay. It's okay either way. If you're handsome or you're not, it doesn't matter. If you're beautiful or not, it doesn't matter because God is looking beyond the external down inside of us. And God is very concerned about what he sees inside you and me, especially in our heart. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it examines us. It evaluates us. It says that it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of what? The heart. That's where the word of God goes into cuts right through like a knife, like a scalpel uh, in the hand of a, a, a skilled surgeon, and it finds out who we really are, and that's good. 
because then God can deal with that. Then God can correct that. God can remake us and transform our lives. God is more concerned about what's going on inside of you than what's going on outside of you or what you look like, especially. And how do I know that? Because of our verse today, which comes from 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. If you read chapter 11 of the story, you already know that verse. It's from King David. It's from the time when he was selected as the next king of Israel. In 1 Samuel 13, God went to Samuel, the prophet at the time, and uh, Samuel is told King Saul has been rejected as king. King Saul, because of his disobedience, because of his unfaithfulness to God, is going to be taken from the throne eventually. And so Samuel is sent to Saul, and he says to him, he says, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God He gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure, Saul is told. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart, Samuel said. And he has appointed him as leader of his people. So that sets the stage for the story of David. This is the occasion. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. As 1 Samuel 16, where the word of God tells us about the anointing of the new king, King David. And so God sent Samuel to choose this king but only the king God would select because Samuel could not be trusted to make that choice. Neither could we. If we went about the nation of Israel, we could choose all kinds of people based on how they looked, but we would not know what's going on inside them, but God does. The Lord looks upon the heart. He doesn't look on the outside. If you want to do an interesting word study sometime, those of you who get into that, look up the word heart sometime. Pull out your concordance. Some of you have at the back of your Bible. Some of you have a bigger concordance than that. Look up at the word heart and see how many times it appears and see what it says. The heart is a very interesting study because the heart is the heart of the matter. It's the heart that is the seat of our emotions. It is the seat of our attitudes. It is the seat of our priorities, our values. If we could look into our hearts this morning, what would we see? We could just lay open your heart or my heart today what would we see there? As Samuel was sent out to find a new king, God gives very direct and very specific. He says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. And you're going to find one of his sons to be the next king. And so Samuel goes down to Bethlehem and he tells everybody there he's going to have a sacrifice. And he invites Jesse and his sons to come to the sacrifice. And as they're showing up, he's consecrating them, getting them ready for the sacrifice. And then they're going to sit down to a meal together. And as the sons of Jesse parade in front of him, the first one to come is the firstborn, Eliab. And Samuel thinks, here's kingly material. This is, this is good. This is the guy. Look at him. Just look at him. He looks like a king. And God says, no, that's not the right one. Not the right one. So the next guy comes by, and he's looking at him. He's looking at the next guy, and several of them, he's thinking, okay, this is the one. The, the, not the first guy, but the third guy, nor the fifth guy. Seven sons parade past in front of Samuel, and several of them, he's thinking, there's a king. That looks like a king to me. And God says, not this one, not that one. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. And you get to the end of the line. That's all the sons Jesse presents. And he says, wait a minute. Uh, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, well, yeah, but he's out taking care of the sheep. 
He's of no account. In fact, he calls him the runt of the family. <laughs> he's, he's a little guy. He's the youngest. He, he doesn't matter. I, I, didn't even, I didn't even think he might be a possibility. I didn't even invite him to the sacrifice or to the meal. He's got things to do with the sheep. And so Samuel says, well, bring him in here because we're not going to sit down until he comes. So they all stand around waiting for David. They call him. He comes in, and he doesn't get a chance to clean up or anything. He comes in still smelling like sheep. He's still dirty. But he sees in him there is something about him that is still attractive, and it's kind of interesting. He's a handsome guy. He's ready. Uh, He looks healthy. Uh, But God sees a lot more, doesn't he? God looks into David's heart. And he saw something that he liked, and he says to Samuel, very directly, he says, okay, rise, anoint him. This is the one I have chosen. And so he anoints him with oil in the presence of his brothers. And the Bible says, from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. I'm sure David's family was very surprised. I'm sure that his older brothers thought, wait a minute. It passed me by, and they took the little guy, the youngest of the family. That doesn't make sense. They would never have chosen David as the next king of Israel based on his appearance or based on his uh, size or based on his abilities, what he had accomplished so far in his life, which was not much. To this time, he's taking care of the sheep. He's done a good job of that. Maybe he's told them about some of those stories of killing the lion or the bear when he had to protect his sheep. I don't know, but that's all he's done as far as they're concerned. How could he ever be a king? You know, if you remember back when King Saul was selected, that was last week, remember how good he looked? Remember how everybody said, that's the kind of king we want? <laughs> Look at him. He's a foot taller than everybody else, and he looks handsome, and he, looks, he has this bearing of a king, you know, and everybody agrees, that's the one. And God's almost shaking his head like, you know, I'll let you, I'll let you choose a king if you want. You're rejecting me. You're choosing this king, and you're going to be disappointed. And they were didn't take long before King Saul disappointed everybody. And they saw by his actions, they saw by his lack of faith, that he was not the man for the job. On what basis did God then say, here is a man after God's own heart? We need to think about that for a minute because we might assume some things. When I think a man after God's own heart, I start thinking, wow, this guy has a heart like God. This guy is, is perfect nearly, you know. He doesn't have any problems. He doesn't have any sins. He doesn't make any mistakes because he has a heart like God's. That's not what it's saying. In fact, we know that David sinned. And we know, as we'll learn next week, that he sinned grievously. He, he committed adultery. He committed murder in order to cover up his adultery if he could. And, and this was a guy that lived in denial of that for several months, thinking, you know, I'm going to get away with this. Fooling himself. This is not a perfect person. We've got to acknowledge that. But we also need to acknowledge that this was an anomaly. Because what we know of David's life from beginning to end, that doesn't fit. It doesn't fit for this man of God who loved God, who searched for God, then to commit these grievous sins. He got off base. He got off track. And he made some terrible mistakes as any of us could any day. Thankfully, we'll learn next week, he gets back on track. He repents. He comes back to God. He confesses his sin, and he is healed of that, and he goes on continuing serving as king. And his kingdom is an eternal kingdom because of that relationship he had with God. So 
God makes his determination, not at that time, but at this point in David's life. He's 16 years old, and he says, I'm going to choose a man after my own heart. And David, at this point, had become a person seeking God, a person loving God, and really what it says here, a man according to God's own heart. A man in the likeness of God's heart. A man after the fashion of God's heart. A man whose heart sought what God seeks. That's what this phrase really says. How do we know that? Well, God could know that. But how would we determine that? Someone asked me this week, they said, how do you know whether somebody is really following God or not? How could you look at the leader of a church or how could you look at somebody you listen to on the radio or how could you look at the life of a friend who pretends or says that they're a Christian? How would you know if they really are true, if they are legitimate, if they are sincere in that? And all I could answer was, well, we don't know what's in a heart. God can see in the heart. He knows immediately. But we have to watch their fruit. We have to watch their actions. We have to see their attitudes being displayed. And over a period of time, we may be able to come to some understanding of whether or not this person is true, whether they are committed, whether they are a true follower of Christ or not. Fortunately, in David's case, we didn't have to wait long. 1 Samuel 16, God says, here's a man after my own heart. 1 Samuel 17, Goliath comes. Goliath, the giant of the Philistines, comes out and he challenges the army of Israel. And he says, it's no need for all of us to do battle here together. We don't know who would win that between the Philistines and the Israelites. Let's just settle the score right now. You send out your champion. Have him fight me. Whoever wins, that'll be the end of it. If I win, you will serve us. If he wins, we will serve you. That's the challenge. And for 40 days, he's coming out. Finally, on the last day of that, David shows up. He's not at the battle, but his father sends him in with food for his brothers, who are soldiers in the army. And he sees Goliath. And he hears the challenge. When Goliath, the Philistine soldier, challenged them, everyone else thought about themselves. Everyone else shrunk back in fear. Some of them ran away. Others just hid behind somebody else. Take him, you know. (laughs) Let him fight you. I'm not going to do it. Even King Saul was shaking in fear. But not David. Not David. What is the reason for that? Why why would he be so different? Because he wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of God. That was the difference. That was why his man seeking and being after God's own heart. Because he was thinking of God. And he was looking at this Philistine as tall as he was, almost as high as this ceiling in this room. And he was saying, as God would see him, who is this guy that he thinks he can insult God? The army of the living God. How can he be so insolent? How can he be so arrogant? I know he's a giant, but he's not as big as God. And he's standing out there insulting God. And this righteous anger rises up in David. And he says, it's got to stop. Nobody can say that kind of thing about God. And he's not fearful, but instead there is this righteous anger inside of him. And so he agrees that he's going to go out there and he's going to fight the Philistine. When he goes out there, Goliath calls him a dog. He says, what are you, a little chihuahua barking around my ankles? You know, who are you? Why would you send somebody else like this out? He doesn't have armor on. He doesn't even have weapons. He's got a, he's got a sling in his hand, pity's sake. What, what, this is ridiculous. And David says to him, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. 
Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The battle is the Lord's, David says, and he will give all of you into our hands. I love that. Don't you? I love it when somebody takes up for God. When somebody says, you can't talk about God that way. God won't stand for that. And so David pulls out his sling and with one stone topples this giant. And then he takes Goliath's sword out of its sheath and cuts off his head after he killed him. (laughs) That little sling, that little sling symbolizes the strength of David. There was no strength of David. But he went in the strength of God. And that was enough to defeat Goliath and the whole Philistine army. Jim George said in his book, A Man After God's Own Heart, that David was fully aware that God was in control of his life. And he had faith that God would deliver him from impending danger. How else would one venture into a potentially fatal situation with such calm and confidence? David knew early on in life that God was to be trusted. God was to be obeyed. And as we see in Scripture, David's faith pleased God, and he was rewarded for it by the Lord. Now, David's heart captured something we need to capture. David had learned, or was learning, what we need to learn. We need to seek God so that however his heart beats, our heart beats. Whatever he longs for, we long for. Whatever he cares about, we care about. And it is so different than our world, just like that whole attraction thing. You look at the outside, or do you want to look inside? Do you want to worry about your exterior, or do you want to work on your interior? When our lives are about God and not about us, it changes things. It changes everything, doesn't it? It changes our perspective. It changes our goals. It changes our priorities. It turns everything upside down. We can no longer see things in the same way. And so the scripture constantly has to talk about that, has to constantly uh, give us examples of that so we'll understand how upside down things flip when we get the heart of God. Leonard Sweet wrote a book that's called Jesus Drives Me Crazy. (laughs) And you may know Leonard Sweet. He's a very evangelistic guy. He used to work with the Billy Graham team a lot. And he talks about how different Jesus and his followers look at life. Spending time with God, this is what David is learning. He's just spending a lot of time. God, how do you see things? What do you want? And he's, he's mulling that over. He's praying about it. And he's looking for that heart to change that way. And when we do, it changes the way we look at it. And so Sweet points out some of these things that just seem kind of nuts to the world. But that's the way God looks at it, the way Jesus looks at it. Jesus taught, for instance, the way up is down. Jesus taught that the way in is out. He taught that first is last. He taught that success is to serve others. The way of strength is weakness. The way of security is to be vulnerable. The way of self-preservation is to forgive. God's power is made perfect. How? In our weakness. Want to get the most? Well, then go to where the least is. You want to be free? Then surrender to God and give complete control to Him. You want to become great? then become least of these. Want to find yourself? Then forget yourself. Lose yourself. You want to get even with your enemies? Then bless them, love them, forgive them. Isn't that upside down? But that's the way it is when you become a follower of Jesus because that's how he lived and that's how he wants us to live. David lived for God, not for himself. 
And David rose up in this power of God with the Spirit of God filling him because he got things right in his life. He certainly wasn't perfect, but he chose to live for God and let God be in charge of whatever results, whatever outcomes would come from his life. And that's how we must live. So what about our hearts this weekend? What about your heart or mine? Is that the way it is? Would God look in there and say, here's a heart that's seeking me. Here's a heart that only wants what I want. Or would there be some changes that need to happen there? Is our heart tuned to God or is it tuned to someone or something else? Is our heart leaning toward God or is it kind of leaning away from God? Only you can answer that. Because I don't know what's in your heart, but you do. And God does. David got his heart right with God. And then God took him from being this lowly teenage shepherd boy to king of Israel. His military skills were such such that, that God used him to enlarge the borders of the country and to achieve peace within his kingdom. And uh, even his son Solomon inherited that and had peace for 40 years. That's how great David was. Did you ever think about how great a stretch it was for a guy to go from a shepherd to a king? Big difference. But it was easy for God. Do you think God wants to do something in your life? I think he does. I think he wants to take you from whatever smallness you have, whatever lowliness you have, whatever lack of attractiveness you may have, or lack of skill you may have, and he has something great in mind for your life. Not for you, but for his kingdom, for him. God wants to use your life in a way that perhaps you have never understood, never dreamed, never envisioned. And God wants to take you, just as he did this shepherd, and turn you into a king of sorts, or to a priest or a priestess that God could use, that would bring glory to him through your life. And you can affect people's lives much more than you do when you're concerned about yourself and you're fearful and you're nervous and you're worried and you're anxious and you're not trusting God. But when you gain this insight, when you gain this perspective that David has, then you think about God and not about you. And you're able to do things in power that you never did before. The secret is this. Not to seek personal gain, not to seek personal comfort, not to seek position or honor of anything that the world says that we're supposed to be about. But simply to seek the heart of God. That's it. Seek the heart of God. Seek to know God. Seek to know His ways. Seek to to gain His perspective, His wisdom. Seek to follow God with all of your heart and leave the results of your life to Him. There's a story of a Persian king who was elevated from poverty to the kingship of his country. He had lived in a hovel. He had lived in this shack. But now he's living in the palace. And he was worried about that. When he became king, He sent his servants back to that old shack where he was reared with orders to gather every relic they could find and bring it back to him at the palace. And so they went there and they brought fragments back from his home, including many broken toys, an old torn and shattered, uh, uh, tattered shirt, and the crude wooden bowl that he used to eat out, out of every day. All of these he arranged in a special room at the palace. And tradition says that he would go into that room one hour every day and just look around 
And on the wall was a little plaque that said, lest I forget. <laughs> lest I forget. Lest I forget where I came from. Lest I forget the humility, the, the humbleness of my life. Lest I forget that this is not about me. It's because someone else wants me to be king and I have a job to do. I have a responsibility. Lest I forget ought to be the mantra of our lives because God has taken you by His grace from a sinner who is lost and bound for hell to the child of God that you are today. And God has a design. God has a vision for your life. God wants you to rise up as you seek His heart, as you understand His heart, as you take that heart upon your own heart. Your life will change and God will use you in an amazing way. David was anointed when he was king, uh, when he was only 16 years old. And he didn't become king till he was 30. That was 14 years of waiting. Some of you are in waiting time. Some of you are struggling right now because you're waiting for some, something from God, some decision from God. Maybe it's what God wants you to do next. Maybe it's what God is going to do to bless your life. Maybe how it's going to change something, fix something, mend something in your life. I don't know what that is. But David learned to wait on God. David learned to put his confidence in God. That's part of this story today too. And if you're in a time of waiting, hang on to God. Seek God with all your heart. And God promises He will be found. His timing will be perfect. Someday you'll know that. Someday you'll see God move. But until then, put your confidence and trust in Him. David's life was characterized by seeking and following God's heart. He put God first. He trusted God. He waited on God. He obeyed God. And his life was about whatever God wanted. And we too must never forget that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's only about God. Are you seeking God? God is seeking you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open to you today, individually now. I, I am in charge of my heart and what I do, how I respond to you. And every person in here has that same responsibility. And I pray right now that our prayer for you would be for you to reveal yourself, reveal your will to us. We are seeking your heart. We are seeking your perspective. We are seeking your wisdom. And we want to do whatever will bring the most honor and glory to you. Father, there are people in our lives that don't know that. There's a whole world that is pushing a different agenda on us. And so we need to let our lives be turned upside down by your spirit. And I pray today that every person that is in here would acknowledge their need for you, that they would understand that that requires repentance from their sins, a change of heart, a change of life, a change of direction that you would tell them about, that you would inform them. It's not according to us, not according to our design, it's your design. We open our hearts to you. We pray that you would... would uh, Make the changes that are necessary, however painful, however long it may take, because we want to be your people. We want to be a man or woman after God's own heart. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that are already Christians, that are striving to live for you every day. I pray that they would have your grace, not only to save them, but to teach them your ways. I pray for those who are not yet Christians here today that your spirit would talk to them, that your spirit would convict them, convince them that they need Jesus. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing? If you have a decision of any type today uh, to surrender your life to Christ or maybe to uh, make some change in your life, maybe you just need prayer today. I want to invite you to just come up and be seated here on the front. We'll talk to you after the service today. Would you take that step today to say, I need God. I want to open my heart to God. I want to, I want to experience whatever God wants in my life. And I know that he's the answer. He's the one that can do that. We're going to sing together a very simple song. Won't you come? Just be seated here in the front. We'll talk to you after church today then, whatever decision that may be. Let's, let's sing together. Thank you.